Section 71. Resolving NetDocs versus Office. Brian McDonald would like to roll out NetDocs aggressively, but McDonald is meeting resistance from Stephen Sanofsky. Business Week Online, October 30th, 2000. I was still working through the stages of grief over a product getting killed, or at least wounded, considering what happened to Office.net, now Office 11, at the last minute. Karma was about to come back around and bite me, ostensibly for doing the same. Since Forum 2000 in June, the NetDocs product continued development. The team expanded, absorbing products and broadening the mission. Brian McDonald used the same approach and much of the team that created Outlook. The team was fired up, but going in several different directions. Depending on who you ask the team, NetDocs might be something different. What originally started as a new style of document creation tool, blending aspects of word processing, spreadsheets, and databases, expanded into a full-blown email program to replace Outlook, a photo editor, and even a web browser. It was also using the latest and unfinished and most strategic technologies. Sensing the excitement over XML, the product also found itself deep in that strategy and some of the new code. NetDocs was also using the latest reusable code from Internet Explorer, which was great for the IE platform, but also meant it was not exactly what most customers thought of when they came to using a browser-based implementation. Along the way, it created some of its own technologies, such as the ability to install updates easily over the internet. There was a lot of excitement over a product that does everything. How could there not be? On paper, this was quite something. During the early days of MS-DOS, these all-in-one products always struck a chord with techies and regular people alike. The idea of using only one tool to get everything done, including email, was insanely appealing. In demos, everyone, especially Bill G, got excited. The idea Microsoft could finally crack the all-in-one category with a professional tool would be huge. Chris Peters had a name for a design, a demo that incorporated all the best of everything in one place and one easy-to-use app. It was called Uniprog Deluxe. That was what we came to call this expansive vision. It wasn't meant to be cynical as much as it was meant to imply a certain level of unachievability. Importantly, the product was also a key part of the nascent strategy to use XML everywhere. XML was being pushed heavily by Bill. Despite being a simple text file format, Bill had let XML take on the role of providing a proprietary advantage to Microsoft in some way. This was a difficult topic to discuss because it conflated several aspects of implementation, such as where the actual intellectual property or code was, and appeared to assign proprietary value to a simple text file. Much of the excitement around XML, and thus NetDocs, was because of the concerns over how the now ubiquitous HTML format and lack of proprietary control Microsoft had over it. In short, XML was a way to regain a proprietary control over an internet experience. Whereas HTML was viewed as a display format, XML was viewed as a structured data format. I had a difficult time with the magic attributed to XML, especially because Office was already invested in HTML. I was holding on to the notion that HTML would remain human-readable at some level, whereas XML was brand new but already super complex. Advocates would say it was never meant to be human-readable. We planned on a significant amount of XML work, but viewed it as interoperability more than proprietary advantage. For example, Excel will be able to import XML data files, such as those from the Securities Exchange Commission, or connect to SQL databases. There was one big problem, and a lot of little ones. The big problem was creating yet another email program. While NetDocs did try to do a lot of things, everything emanated from being an email and scheduling product. 
Microsoft went through several years of a comical email client strategy that was confusing and frustrating to customers. Email was literally the most important product the company was building and the most important enterprise product. Not only was it the key server product, but it was also the key to the new office products. Perhaps that is why we had so many email products in the market and in the works. Something important attracts a lot of attention from development teams looking to do important work. In a world where we were just establishing enterprise credibility, having multiple email programs was a disaster, especially when our flagship one wasn't even so well received yet. When something is hot, however, every project converges to that product. So everything had to do email. We had Outlook, which was struggling to become a great product for exchange and enterprise email. After the initial release that just made it into Office 97, there was the split and creation of Outlook 98, which was either a not-so-great exchange client or a not-so-great internet mail client, but never both. Then for Outlook 2000, and then again with Outlook 2002, XP, we failed several times at becoming a more reliable exchange client with a new storage engine. Finally, with Outlook 11, we were committed to addressing the problems come hell or high water, as they say. We also had the new browser-based version of Mail, which we named Outlook, even though the relationship to Outlook was zero when it came to code and only acceptable when it came to user experiences and features. The inability to share code and limited capabilities of rendering all of Outlook in the 2000-era web browsers caused this divergence and inefficiency. The enthusiasm for this Outlook web access in a browser, however, was unbridled. In 1996, the Windows team released Internet Mail and News, or IMN, which became a much-loved Internet Mail program. It was part of Windows and Internet Explorer made by the same team. IMN was plugging along doing great things for the Internet when it became clear to our enterprise sales efforts that we could not have a first-rate Internet Mail and so-so exchange mail. The solution was, and I'm not making this up, to rename IMN to Outlook Express. This was a decree that neither the Outlook team nor the Windows team liked, but the theory was that it clarified the products for customers. The IMN team did not want to be tainted with the yucky Enterprise Outlook name, and the Outlook team didn't want to be confused with free, or for that matter, the internet. Customers called everything Outlook and were basically always confused. Product support was confused. Reviewers were confused. Most of all, normal people were confused. It was a silly, self-inflicted mess that continued for more than a decade except for the reality that in 2001, work on both Outlook Express and Internet Explorer stopped, and the efforts for the future of Windows Longhorn were put elsewhere. There were no plans to update either on Windows XP. Those capabilities are going to exist in some new form on a future Windows product. We had Outlook, Outlook Web Access, and Outlook Express. The branding and naming relationship was much deeper than any technical one. To complete the mail strategy, we also offered Hotmail, the web-based email acquired in 1998. Hotmail was both a mail client and a mail server in Bill G. architectural diagrams. MSN Mail was trying to converge to Hotmail, but was also building a client-side application to compete with America Online, and thus a client mail experience. Hailstorm was slated to provide, or connect to, a set of these email experiences, but it too used a different protocol. If you were trying to build a matrix of mail clients and mail servers and which connected to which, you'd have a matrix with a lot of holes. RF strategy was a mess. Many reporters and customers at the time looked at this mess and thought of teams competing in some sort of bloody, there can be only one battle within Microsoft. From inside, it was not that at all. In fact, by and large, the teams did not care what each other did. 
In its own way, each team thought they would win out in the way that they expected, and the others simply wouldn't be relevant to the battle the way they defined it. Alec Express was certain they could win against Eudora, the leading classic internet mail program, or Netscape's communicator, if for no other reason a bunch of people weren't going to pay for Outlook. Not to mention that Outlook was in no way competitive with Eudora. They were right, and the Outlook team put little energy into competing with Eudora or Outlook Express. MSN was going to win with their own subscribers and be the best and only experience for dial-up. Hotmail was going to become advertising-supported and win in browser-based email that was free. Outlook anchored itself in the corporate market and office and made all the money. There was a competition, and that was for people. Recruiting and hiring was a source of conflict. Often when a new group spun up, recruiting kicked into high gear. There were neither rules nor much of an internal system that managed individuals moving between teams. Most moves happened by word of mouth. Teams would routinely bump up against the norms, not really formal rules, by implying the potential for a promotion or broader responsibility with a move. More often than not, an employee would get caught in the middle of one manager recruiting heavily and another manager trying to hold their team together in the short term. Such staffing skirmishes uniquely impacted office, where the vast majority of our hires came from college, hundreds per year, and we maintained a strong culture of finishing a release that was started. Luring people away from the team mid-cycle was something we deeply frowned upon at a cultural level. New hires with even a partial release of office could join a team having gone through valuable training and initiation by office. At release boundaries, office proved a strong net exporter of people to other teams, renewing our own teams with even more college hires the next year. Since there was no coordination by HR, more than anything, it was this cross-recruiting that introduced some friction between teams. If there was drama, it was mostly constrained to the boardroom, where the complex matrix of what worked with what and who was using the latest technology were Bill G's main discussions. Most of the time, the problems were not anyone's fault, as much as the teams thought it unnecessary to implement something because their customers just didn't care. Yet the pull at Microsoft from the top was to resolve these architectural impurities and to strive to work rationalization and consistency across the line. Still, that did not create competing groups as much as it set groups up that all thought the other groups weren't doing their part to increase synergy. There wasn't anger, hostility, competition for resources, or anything substantial. Mostly, it was just eye-rolling and exasperation at a lot of meetings followed by long emails over how impossibly difficult some alignment would be technically. The post-2000 Microsoft, after Windows XP and Office XP with the arrival of the enterprise business, was a period of extensive meetings around synergy and strategy. At the extreme, groups could spin out of control on their own by signing up for too much synergy and too much strategy. At another extreme, groups could stay focused on shipping. Leading the former meant receiving high praise and attention internally, while generally failing to deliver or delivering what was perceived as suboptimal. Groups of the latter type shipped and often received poor marks for lacking strategic alignment while developing a reputation for being difficult to work with. The reader is invited to guess which type office was closely identified with, and I came to personify that. Nothing occupied my psyche more than this reality I lived. Shipping is really difficult, even more so at scale. As Chris Peters used to say in his shipping software talk from the early 1990s, it is like everyone comes to work every day to prevent a team from shipping. Everyone can mean many people in a big company. Every once in a while, something would get so visible and so tricky 
that a decision would have to be made, and we could not just let some notion of passive-aggressive Darwinism decide. NetDocs was another email program, one that in theory would work both for Exchange and Internet Mail, and maybe even Hotmail, MSN, or the new Hailstorm Mail. Over the intervening years since NetDocs' team was formed, Outlook won over corporate America and gained an enormous number of features, very difficult-to-code features. Everything from handling attachments to scheduling meetings across time zones, shared mail accounts, recurring events, shared calendars with coworkers, spam protection, security, looking other employees up in the address book, plus to-do and task lists, personal contacts, and still more. Those features were built into Outlook. In fact, many weren't even available on Outlook Web Access, thus adding to the complexity of our mail story. To software architects, the code implementing the semantics and capability of the Microsoft email solution was in Outlook running on the desktop, not running on the server. It was architected in a decidedly old-school manner, mostly out of necessity, but also because of history. The problem, the really big problem, was that there was no way for NetDocs to implement all those features, either on its own or by sharing code with Outlook. It would be like trying to use words code for footnotes in PowerPoint without dragging along all of the word code. Code just doesn't work that way. Getting all that right in the new NetDocs code base was a long project, infinitely long. The team knew this, primarily because it was made up of many members of the original Outlook team. They were not worried. Their intent was to introduce NetDocs and add features over time. There were nearly countless smaller features and implementation details to worry about. Being built on all the latest and greatest technologies from .NET and Internet Explorer was great in theory, but in practice, most of these technologies themselves were far from being complete. In a commercial product for hundreds of millions of customers, they expected the product to handle typing in the world's languages, left to right, right to left, vertical, and switching between. A particular hot button for Office right now, given how much we put into this area. They expected it to understand how dates, time zones, and other locale-specific data work, which was especially important in calendaring. And they expected to work with accessibility tools for people who needed assistive devices to read the screen or used alternates to mice and keyboards. Customers wanted the product to work on the hardware they owned with the amount of memory and processor they already had. These abilities, as we called them, were a long list of requirements just to release a product that carried the Office logo. Many of these might make sense to readers today because the operating system, particularly on mobile phones, provide this auto-magically by simply using the platform as intended, and this is verified in the App Store submission process. In a series of meetings and demos to Bill, Steve, and Jeff Rakes, who managed both NetDocs and Office, and many across the company, it became clear we were heading for something a big company never wants to happen, a decision meeting with consequences. I often refer to a line from the movie Wall Street when Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, sighs. Showdowns bore me, Larry. Nobody wins. It is never a good thing when there are only two options on a substantial decision and a deadline, forcing one side to walk away a winner and another a loser. Management is all about avoiding these situations in the first place. The Microsoft of this era didn't make choices early and for good reason. The original Windows project was exactly the kind of thing that could arise if you let ideas flourish. Windows NT was essentially a side project. Windows 98, 98 SE, and me took on the role of side projects. The whole company was built on what were rebellious side projects. It's easy to skip this point or to take the point of view that conflicting side projects are a cultural disaster that eats a company from the inside. It is very easy to say that. 
In practice, projects that might conflict also create optionality. Great CEOs treasure optionality. Bill G was one of those. The risk is not having too many options, but too few. The other risk is that all the options being developed converge on products that look too much like what we already have. That is the mistake that Microsoft made with some frequency. Too many photo sharing products, too many data access technologies, too many mail clients, each of which was similar but different while not being anchored in a scenario that introduced a step function change in the trajectory of a technology. The key indicators of a potential trouble are usually obvious in hindsight. First, the project plans to become especially expansive and generally can't be scaled back because every feature is critical. Second, the team size becomes especially large. Rarely do small teams cause big problems. In this case, NetDocs worked super hard and made a ton of progress. Between two alternatives of fully embracing Outlook and the next release of Office or adding a fourth mail program, even one that was potentially exciting, to Microsoft's already confusing mail strategy, there was no good answer. Not wanting to decide immediately, a question was how much more time it would take to be a full replacement for Outlook. Brian and team wanted to release a product and grow it into market. Rather than wait and wait, perhaps some suffering from the enemy of the good is the perfect syndrome. Unfortunately, catching up over time seemed like an unbounded problem as well. Outlook and Exchange were evolving. These products were still early in their life cycles. For example, the major work to improve reliability was about to start, and that could have broad impacts on all the code already written for NetDocs. Across Office, everyone was working to integrate with Outlook. In the competition with Lotus Notes, we continued to try many new features to embrace programmability of email. It was not simply replacing a static view of email, but plugging into an entire collaboration strategy. We already failed twice trying to use, use the new storage system for Outlook. Would NetDocs be able to make it work? The only thing we could do and have a rational email strategy was decide not to ship NetDocs and find a way to create a new product that did not try to replace Outlook. That's what I wanted to do and advocated. The past few years of trying to stabilize Outlook left an impression on me. I didn't see a path where NetDocs could ever catch up and was deeply concerned about customers perceiving the need to choose between NetDocs and Outlook. Knowing how much of the office value proposition was built around communication scenarios using Outlook. For all the good ideas and hard work, a clear decision was needed. We discussed alternatives with the leaders of the team. There were well-deserved mixed feelings and some significant pushback and honest emotion. The leaders on the team knew the facts and challenges, and so did most of the team. Brian met numerous times with Bill and Steve, along with the NetDocs leaders, Jeff Rakes, Brian, and I met with Bill to decide on a plan to ship NetDocs with Office or not. And not shipping probably meant shelving the project. Bill hated this kind of meeting. Showing up with two options always meant debating a third option, when it came to this level of technology and product, however, it was increasingly difficult for Bill to have the best or most informed opinion. The company was made of so many brand new products and technologies, no one could keep track. The NetDocs team was exhausted. They'd worked tirelessly for the weeks leading up to these meetings to see just how much they could get done. Knowing them well, I could sense the resignation. It was a too tall an order to deliver on all the new things while maintaining compatibility with Exchange and Outlook, while advancing in all the ways they intended. It might sound like we could finesse having two products, but not for the office business, not against Lotus Notes, and certainly not for enterprise customers with new enterprise agreements, and definitely not for industry analysts and the press. Our credibility as a company was on the line, 
and too much was at stake too soon in the adoption curve. The team tried to do too much too soon. Brian agreed with Bill that the team should have focused more on XML, seeing how important that had become to the strategy, and that it would soon have been too difficult to have that short, sort of slow-burn email strategy, where it took several releases to surpass Outlook. There were better ways to have a bigger impact and sooner. Bill was clear he should have provided more direction to the team on priorities. There was ample humility and professionalism to go around. As painful as this transition could have been, much of the difficulty was mitigated by the level of accountability Brian and Bill demonstrated. Brian pushed to have the refocusing of the product to XML scenarios happen within the office team. We held an all-hands meeting with the NetDocs team in the cafeteria, led by Jeff Rakes. While the decision was made between Bill and Brian McDonald, there was no escaping that some perceptions of this were about how I held control over the office box, and thus I ended up bearing the brunt of it, especially for those who thought NetDocs was closer to realization than not. Any meeting like this was going to be tough. Still, canceled and redirected projects are a part of engineering and often turn out to be important lessons for many. I had just gone through a last-minute reset myself. Few engineers make it far into a career without enduring at least one major project reset. The online version includes the April 2001 mail from Brian McDonald announcing the move of NetDocs to office. I was caught off guard by how much the press continued to portray this as a battle, my battle. There were so many difficult situations, differences of opinion and product challenges, but this wasn't one of mine. I experienced a friction between teams, primarily over hiring, and some regarding product claims when it came to working with Exchange. The irony of the situation was the friction was mostly rooted in a history and connections so many of the engineers on the teams shared. It was as if members of the old Outlook team started building a new Outlook to take on their earlier creation, perhaps a second system syndrome as detailed in the Mythical Man Month. The online version includes several of the articles on the transition of the NetDocs team, including one from eWeek in April of 2001, describing the NetDocs team as floored. When a project goes through a big challenge or reset, the feelings come out. When a project is in the press too early in its life, then these feelings make it into the press too. I knew enough to understand that people want to find a clear point of responsibility or even blame. I was an easy target. It would not be the first time. It was also ill-advised to engage the press on these stories, leaving them to be based on whatever perspective was tipped to one of the Microsoft Beat reporters. I understood it was clearly part of the job for me to take on the accountability for things that don't go well, even when it feels like a stretch to call something my fault. I watched every manager or mentor I had, Bill, Jeff Harbors, Chris Peters, Mike Maples, Pete Higgins, do that more times than I could count. Like so many difficult situations, the NetDocs transition proved a valuable learning experience. Many on the NetDocs team used the project reset as a chance to stick their heads up and see what other opportunities were going on around the company and beyond. More specifically, there was a noticeable exodus of middle pyramid people in this era. The core group that remained earned a unique opportunity to create an entirely new product for Office 11 focused on maximizing the value of XML. That was the constraint. My view was if this were close enough to spend all the energy on NetDoc shipping in this time frame, then it could ship the less complex product without email while still having the full Office 11 schedule to do the work. They would be able to use the Office shared code to bootstrap the entire app which would save a huge amount of time and also make consistency and synergy much easier. During the project, NetDocs had expanded scope so broadly so as to include the universal Kansas, XML editing, XML data transformation, a new user interface, a mail and calendaring client supporting both old and new protocols, 
and much more. To support these, the team grew to a significant size, over 500 people. To put that in perspective, the entire office team was about 2,000 people, including everything sold under the office umbrella. Office maintained a long history of letting people move around the different teams, or staying put if they chose, at the break between releases. That was exactly what enabled so many people to move to other parts of office or to other teams. Don Gagne emailed Don GA, who previously led Outlook and then moved to NetDocs, would soon find a huge role in office. So it was rather fortunate he stayed on. Just as a note in writing this, I know that all of these names can sometimes seem to be overdoing it, but having read so many of accounts of how things happen in big companies, I always feel that too many key contributors and their work are left out. I promise there won't be a quiz at the end. From NetDocs, Don Gagne would lead a newly formed team called XDocs, short for XML Documents, with Rajesh Jha, email Rajesh J, leading program management. XDocs was NetDocs repurposed as an end-user tool using XML technology using the core NetDocs code base. At a high level, NetDocs without email and calendaring. There was much work to be done in that regard, including the difficult work of right-sizing the team for the task at hand. Peter Pathé would step up as VP to provide additional leadership and helping to integrate and shape ECDOCs. He brought with him a deep understanding of the SGML, the predecessor to HTML, and the way Word embraced HTML and XML, which would come in handy when it came to XDocs integrated across Office. The team went through a fast process to identify where XML technology and NetDocs could be reused. XML generated a ton of buzz in the industry as a way of exchanging data between applications. We increased support for XML in Excel. For example, the SEC began requiring companies to release quarterly earnings in XML, making it easy to import into spreadsheets or databases for analysis. Bill G. was now excited about XML in Office 11. There's an online video uh, created by Rajesh Jha's leadership team that showed the diversity of the team that it took to build a better and better version of NetDocs as XDocs. Leading the effort to create the vision for XDocs was Judy Liu, email Judy Liu. Judy joined Microsoft about five years earlier out of the University of Michigan MBA program. She attended Columbia University as an undergraduate, and her pace in words and action was much more New York than her Utah upbringing. She was thoughtful, analytical, persistent, and all traits that serve the team well in pivoting to an entirely new product. Her research identified a tool for companies to create forms, expense reports, invoices, surveys, and more. She envisioned enabling a much more elaborate experience, including programmable logic, data validation, and connectivity to other data sources to make it easier to fill out forms. A significant benefit, it could function without being connected to a network using offline email, which was a huge win at the time when getting online was incredibly difficult. Such a product would help enormously in competing with notes. XDocs showcased SharePoint to share forms and store the results of the data collected. Competitively, IT developers were starting to use web browsers for many applications and were often seeing limitations of HTML compared to how these problems might have been solved with tools like Visual Basic. The online version includes a demo screenshot of an XDocs application created by the Microsoft Field Salesforce. To put XDocs in today's context, it was designed to solve many of the problems solved by DocuSign. Before web browsers were as capable as today, having a desktop application where the forum could be signed, manipulated, and all came together was a good idea. As it would turn out, leading customers were perfectly happy dealing with the limitations of browsers and HTML if it meant not deploying a desktop application. There was an extremely important lesson in there. 
The era of looking to solve new problems with a new Windows application was over. I was increasingly convinced of this fact. Not only was this an unpopular opinion inside the company, but the company strategy also assumed this was decidedly not the case. The problem for me was the Microsoft bubble with influential enterprise customers and the strategy bubble inside the company were protective enough that it would be years before the reality of our situation would be shared. That's why XDocs made such a good idea at the time. If having to outright cancel projects was rare, rarer still was the opportunity or ability to pull from the ashes of a canceled project an entirely new product that, at least at the time, seemed strategic and viable. The team and the broader office team were excited by the work. Judy Liu's efforts were remarkable, as was the execution for the remainder of the team. It was not our best product. In fact, it was a failure in hindsight, the right problem to solve, but the wrong technology approach. Nor was it the most exciting to work on. But going from a long track of not shipping to creating a credible product so elegantly was a noteworthy and educational accomplishment. The team left behind a consumer subscription product for email to build an enterprise business class processing tool using XML. They delivered that, and it was a huge accomplishment in this era. So many new ideas failed to gain escape velocity. As Brian said in his emails to the team announcing the changes, Organizing an office would be a huge opportunity to ship on time and to maximize the potential impact of the product. The online version includes one of the many extremely positive reviews for what became InfoPath. InfoPath, the final product name, shipped with Office 11 as a full-fledged member of the office business SKU. It showed off a strategic new technology, XML, along with SharePoint and Outlook, and it helped compete with Notes. It provided the kind of strategic demo of business value that the Salesforce really appreciated. It was the kind of product that the Microsoft Press, Microsoft's book publishing subsidiary, pursued aggressively, resulting in a book even before the product shipped. I fondly recall stopping by Rajas's office when he showed me the book, beaming with pride. The online version includes the cover of the Microsoft Press book. It also includes a screenshot of InfoPath working with mobile phones of the era, including Internet Explorer on Windows Pocket PC devices. InfoPath was bundled with an Office Enterprise SKU. Doing so brought great distribution, but made it difficult to realize the true value. As with Outlook, the desire to support the bundle was greater than any incentive or perceived opportunity to create a new revenue business. Judy Liu's work clearly identified the revenue opportunity and specialized customers for this type of product. Reaching them, as was the case, required an investment in new sales and marketing people and programs. Sales and marketing did not like those views. The priorities were to increase the perceived value of Office, particularly in the enterprise agreement space. XDocs had the beauty of being a high-value tool for IT while being useful to every desktop in an organization, which fit well within the EA. The online version includes a strategy diagram from the Industry Analyst Summit that we held showing how InfoPath fit in with the Microsoft Enterprise Value Proposition. From my perspective, I faced another round of being on the hook to deliver organic innovation that expanded to new categories, only to see the work turned into incremental innovation to support the existing office bundle and revenue. The pressure to drive upgrades was greater than the need for more organic growth. Yet it was clear no one was going to upgrade for InfoPath more or less than for any other feature in the bundle. The difficulties in upgrading were unrelated to the value proposition for any part of the Office suite. The complexity of the overall platform of Windows and Office cemented a view that any change introduced upgrade friction. As we saw with browsers, however, if something interesting came along that was entirely new, 
Rather than simply an upgrade, customers are more than happy to consider adding to it to their entire standard deployment. We never got the chance to see if standalone InfoPath was interesting enough to consider. I was disappointed that we chose simply to add more bloat to the perception of office as bloated, as the reviews would say, rather than strive for new business opportunities. The revenue for office kept going up, either demonstrating I was completely wrong or perhaps proving that with product market fit we had achieved for the core suite, nothing else we could do would impact the business. Still, this was difficult for me. Clearly, I was responsible for what ultimately transpired in the NetDocs to InfoPath transition, at least to the degree that I advocated for the only rational choice technically and in the context of enterprise agreements and the business. On the other hand, I was not the one who let the product go on for a couple of years, nor was I the one who insisted on the demo at Forum 2000 and numerous other demos to all sorts of industry people. NetDocs had enough internal and external exposure that it was clearly perceived as a super cool product under development, at least based on that cool demo at Forum 2000. Why else demo it? Would it have been better if it were permitted a slow burn over several years? I have my doubts for sure, as the technology seeds that it contained were inside the Microsoft bubble, not where the industry was strongly heading. Instead of a Win32 app and proprietary XML, Office would double down on browser-based tools starting in the next release of Office. Ultimately, the product was neither different enough from everything going on, nor did it take a radically different approach that could come from a new architecture. Still, thanks to me, I suppose, NetDocs was one of several products on every list of legendary Microsoft products that never made it to market. Much later, another one of those products caused me and the company a considerable amount of grief. Stay tuned. InfoPath was not the only new product in Office 11.